Well, this is the last week of a five-week sermon series we've been in the midst of, uh, where we've unveiled for you the vision and mission that Christ City Church is wanting to embrace and live into. And so if you've been with us the last few weeks or the last year and a half, uh, you've probably heard the vision. We talk about it all the time. We say it every Sunday. It's plastered everywhere. And the vision is, does anybody know it? Y'all can just say it together. A couple of you. Okay, listen, I'm going to say it, and then we'll say it together, okay? So the vision is, hear it from me first, a place to belong, a place to know God. Now let's say it together. A place to belong, a place to know God. Now you got it. Um, so if, if our vision is, that's the sort of church we want to be, a place where people can belong, and over time they can come to know God. They can be in a process of knowing God. If that's our vision, that's where we want to go. The question is, how, how are we going to get there? How are we going to see that become reality more and more and more? And the mission statement we have is the answer to that. And our mission statement is that we are becoming followers of Jesus who recover their lives, reimagine their purpose, and refresh their world. So if you've missed the sermons over the past few weeks, I think that they're very important. So I encourage you to go back and listen on our website or on our, or on our podcast. This week, we're concluding this series by looking at examining the last part of this mission statement, becoming followers of Jesus who refresh our world. And as I was thinking about that this week, being a refreshing presence in the world, there's a documentary that came to mind that I hadn't seen yet. So in the name of Sermon Research, I bought it on Amazon and my wife and I watched it a few nights ago. Many of you have probably seen it, uh, the new documentary about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Has anyone seen it? Yes. Man, I'm moved right now just, just thinking about it. It's a sweet and good movie. I highly recommend it. Um, there's so much in that movie and looking at his life and seeing his stories that caught my attention. But there's one thing that stood out to me, and it was as he was making a commencement speech at Dartmouth College. And so I went and I looked up the whole speech, and there's one line I wanna share with you from that commencement speech that Mr. Rogers gave in 2002. He said this, you don't ever have to do anything sensational for people to love you. I like you just the way you are. You don't ever have to do anything sensational for people to love you. I like you just the way you are. And that caught my attention because it goes to so against the grain of what we crave as, especially 21st century Americans. Like we're really attracted to sensationalism and we wanna be a part of like this sensational movement that's changing the world. Sometimes we try, and sometimes it just seems so big for us that we don't even try, but no matter what, we, we often get burnt out with that, and we're just kind of done with that. And so this is so beautiful, because what it tells me is, you don't have to do anything sensational. Like, you can just be yourself. Love God, love yourself, love other people. You don't have to be more than you are. It's a story that Mr. Rogers told. It's a vision that he had. It's what he told with the way that he lived his life. And it connects, I think, with this story in John chapter 21. This is one of my favorite stories in all of the gospel accounts of Jesus. And something sensational does happen, right? There's a miraculous catch of so many fish. That's a miracle. But the climax of the story, at least for me, 
Like what I'm most drawn to as I read this story and hear this story over and over and over isn't the miraculous catch of fish, though I think that's awesome, but it's the ordinary yet beautiful, the simple yet profound story of Jesus and his friends having dinner together on the beach. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. That's what I want us to fill our imagination with. And we're gonna, we're gonna look, through, look through the story and then we're gonna hone in on one particular character, Peter. We're gonna examine a little bit about his story and I think you're gonna be surprised at how much your story as an individual, my story, and our story as Christ City Church connects with the Apostle Peter. So let's look at this passage again. Let's look at the story. We see that seven of Jesus' disciples are hanging out by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had already died. Jesus had already risen from the dead, and he had appeared to them already, but now here they are just hanging out, standing around by the Sea of Galilee, as they often did. And in verse 3, something important happens. Peter, as he's hanging out with these men, he says, hey, let's go fishing, which seems like it could be a harmless, simple statement, and maybe it is. Maybe it's just like, hey, we're hungry. The last few days have, like, they've been pretty, pretty full, <laughs> and my belly feels pretty empty. So we know how to fish. We're professional fishermen, so let's go grab some fish so we can fill our bellies together. It could be simple, it could be harmless, but there could be more going on beneath the surface of these words. No one really knows. I don't have an answer for you. Bible scholars love to debate and talk about this verse as they do about a lot of different verses. But what could be happening here is perhaps Peter's saying, hey, guys, this whole like being apprentices of Jesus thing is that really gonna work out for us? What we know how to do is fish. So maybe we should just like put our cards there, something we know that we're good at, something we know we can provide for ourselves with, and like, let's just do that, right? Peter's faced with a very uncertain situation. What is going on and what's going to happen with my life? And so maybe this is a picture of Peter kind of grasping for control in the midst of an uncertain situation, which if you're honest, you can relate to Peter in that. I know I can. Regardless, we don't know what's going on with Peter, but he says, let's go fishing. And all of his friends say, okay, you're the ringleader here. We'll go with you. And so then in verse four, we see that they're fishing and they hadn't caught anything. They fished all throughout the night. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up on shore and I don't exactly understand this, but they don't recognize Jesus. It seems so obvious to us as readers like several centuries later, but they don't recognize him. And then we see this dialogue that if you really imagine it is actually pretty comical. Like really imagine the scene in your head. So Jesus is standing on shore and about a hundred yards out, there's the boat. And so Jesus, like he's not using an inside voice in order to communicate with these disciples, right? Like it's probably pretty loud. There are, there are waves, there's wind. So Jesus is like, Jesus is having to yell at these people hundred yards out. Hey, haven't you caught any fish? And of course he knows the answer. They say, no, we haven't. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you 
put out your net on the right side of the boat. Like, have you thought to try that? And this is comical too, because these are professional fishermen. And Jesus is not a professional fisherman. So you have to think they're kind of like, who is this guy? Like, who's this guy who just showed up on shore and is yelling at us from 100 yards away and trying to tell us how to do our jobs? But you can relate to that too, because all of you have been to the doctor before, and you show up, even though you have a degree in, in English or history, and you show up as an expert, because you've spent five minutes reading on WebMD, right? And so here you are sharing with the doctor all that like you think as you diagnose yourself and all that's going on. Like it's a little bit offensive, right? Like I have years of training and education and I've invested thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and I have a two letter title before my name and who are you, right? So it's a little bit comical as you imagine the scene of Jesus yelling at these disciples for some reason, maybe because they're desperately hungry enough, they decide to listen to what this man says they put down their nets on the right side of the boat, and as you've heard, they catch this huge catch of fish, surprising and unexpected. Now, the disciples are having this sort of like deja vu thing. Do y'all like deja vu moments? I really do. Like, what's going on? I'm having deja vu. What is it? So they're having this moment. They're like, this seems familiar. What's going on here? Because you know that the story of Jesus calling his disciples in the first place. It's like a Forrest Gump moment. Do you know, like that begins with a white feather and ends with a white feather. It's beautiful storytelling. The beginning when Jesus called his disciples in Luke chapter five, it's a very similar story. They weren't able to catch fish. They listened to Jesus. They bring in this huge load of fish. And so it strikes John, the apostle John, hey, this is Jesus. This is the Lord. And so he says that, and then I love this scene. This is one of my favorite things in all of the Gospels. Peter leaps out of the boat 100 yards from shore and just swims as fast as he can. I imagine him like coming up on the beach and he's, he's dripping wet and Peter seems like an athletic and fit person because he can haul huge loads of fish and swim 100 yards, but still you can imagine he's dripping wet and out of breath, like heaving with breath, but he just runs to Jesus and embraces him. Now, Peter often does things, if you explore the Gospels, you'll see, and if you explore the book of Acts, you'll see that Peter does things sometimes that seem, seem rash. Uh, Peter's not the type of person who thinks things out before he says them or before he does them. Like most of us do. Like, we probably think things through and, hey, how are other people going to perceive when I do this? Is it going to be socially or culturally acceptable? Peter doesn't worry about any of that sort of stuff. And so he does some crazy things sometimes. But what's beautiful is you see his heart. You see what's going on in his heart because he's not trying to make himself presentable for other people. And so we see here just this heart that's gushing with affection and love and desire for Jesus to be with Jesus. Now the story ends with Jesus and his disciples making a meal together, like there's a fire going, they're on a beach, the sunrise is coming up in the background, and they're grilling fish and enjoying a good meal with friends. They're deeply hungry, and now they're satisfied and nourished. Doesn't that sound amazing? Like grilling a delicious meal with your closest friends on the beach while the beautiful sunrise is happening in the background. 
Like as you imagine that scene, consider some words that come to your head. For me, words like joy and friendship and warmth and hospitality and goodness and wholeness and fullness and richness. Isn't it good? Refreshing and life. Like there's life there. And if you can fill your imagination with this scene, you can find yourself craving this sort of life, this sort of experience. And I'd go so far to say that it's, that's not unique to those of us in this room. Like I guarantee you that you have family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors, people outside of these doors that crave that sort of life as well. I think this is common to all of humanity. We crave this sort of refreshing life. Now, let me point out that a reason that we crave it is because this isn't just any sort of life. John, throughout his gospel, uses this phrase over and over and over and over. It's a very important phrase. He uses these two words, eternal life eternal life. And we've talked about all the time at Christ City as we've journeyed through the gospels. We spent a year doing that, journeying with Jesus through the gospels. We've talked about how when John uses that word eternal life and when Jesus uses those words in the gospels, that it doesn't just mean some like future reality, like after you die, then you'll get to experience eternal life. Like it's a promise for you here and now that there's life with Jesus like the life that you crave, the life that his disciples are experiencing here, that's available for you here and now. Another way that we might say these two words, this phrase eternal life, is resurrection life. Resurrection life. It's not a future reality, though it is, but it's also a present reality available for you to experience here and now. That's the good news. You can experience, you can taste resurrection life right now. Do you want to hear the bad news? No one does, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Here's the bad news about resurrection life. To experience, to taste resurrection life, you have to experience for yourself resurrection. And to experience resurrection for yourself, you have to experience for yourself a death. You have to walk through death to get through resurrection in order to get life and then in order to give life. There's a rhythm. There's, a, there's an intentional and important order to this. Death, resurrection, get life, and give life. That's the pattern of Jesus. And then that's also the pattern that Jesus invites us as his followers into as well. So what I want to do is look at Peter's story in particular and see how Peter walks through this pattern of death, resurrection, getting and experiencing life, and then giving life away. Just a few chapters before John 21 and... Um, just a few days before this story in John 21 takes place, Peter experiences a death of sorts. Now, of course, I'm not talking about a literal physical death, though that's what happened with Jesus. Of course, Jesus died. 
Jesus rose from the grave. He experienced resurrection. He got resurrection life, and he gave resurrection life away. But Peter, in the book of John, in chapter 18, he experiences for himself a death of sorts. Though it's not a physical, literal death, it's a death nonetheless. Let me just tell you the story. You've probably heard it before in John chapter 18. So Jesus is arrested when he's with his disciples. There's this scary scene where all these guards come up, they arrest Jesus, they take him away. Most of his disciples flee. They run away. They don't wanna be anywhere near what's going down here. Except Peter and one other disciple, they wanna keep up with what's happening here. So we see Jesus taken away and then Peter stays close to the scene. And then in John 18, we see this, this story that happens that Jesus predicts just a few hours before it actually unfolds. Jesus, uh, Peter is hanging out around a campfire. Jesus had just been arrested. Peter's filled with fear. Like imagine the fear that he would be feeling like for his entire life, for his safety, for his well-being. Our master was just arrested. It's only a matter of time before they come for me too. Our master is probably gonna be killed here. It's only a matter of time before they come after me too. Do you see the fear that he would have been feeling? So Peter's hanging out in this court around a fire and some people look at him and they recognize him. Hey, aren't you one of the people who are following Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his disciples? And you know the story, Peter filled with fear says, no, 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 you're mistaken, it's not me. And then it happens again, hey, Hey, I recognize you. You're one of the men who follow Jesus. And again, Peter denies it. No, 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 no. You're mistaken. It's not, I don't know the man. And then it happens a third time. And then after the third time, just as Jesus had predicted a few hours earlier, what happens? The rooster crows. And Peter remembers this meal that he had, the last supper with Jesus and like all of these feelings of shame and guilt just flood him and overwhelm him. Like my Lord, my master, and my friend, this man who loved me deeply, who saw me yet loved me, what have I done? I've denied him, I've betrayed him, I've disowned him. All of this shame and guilt on top of all of the fear and loneliness that Peter would be feeling. Peter had entered into the pit of despair. Like Peter had walked into the darkest darkness that we can imagine. Uncertainty. Now maybe, maybe you can relate to Peter. Of course you haven't had this exact same story happen to you this exact same way. But probably you know what it means to be uncertain. Maybe you lost a job and you have all this uncertainty, all this fear, you walked into the darkness yourself. Or maybe you've lost a loved one before and you know the deep grief and sadness that goes along with that. Maybe you've been betrayed by a close friend and you know that deep loneliness. You, many of you know this despair as well. You know what it is to be in the darkness. You know what it means to die. Pete Scazzaro wrote a book um, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I wanna read for you this long quote because it's so helpful and so good. Um, Pete uh, uses the words, the wall, to describe this sort of experience that we're talking about. 
like walking into the pit of despair, entering into the darkness, dying. Pete calls this the wall. So here's what he says. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, we question God, we question the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will be over. Have you been there before? A couple of years ago, if I were to hear a sermon like this one, or if I were to read a book like Pete's book, to be honest with you, I would have written this off as some sort of like psychological babble. But as you know, if you've lived long enough to learn this, that sort of like blissful naivety can only last for so long. Because then I started my own process of dying. I started experiencing my own deaths. I started experiencing what it means to feel lonely as a close friend betrays you. I experienced what it means to sit and cry with a loved one who is passing away. I've experienced my own deaths. But here's the, here's the good news. That if you're willing to go there and not check out, and if you're willing to stay with God and with other people while you're there, then it's at this moment, the moment that God feels most absent, that God is actually working his deepest transformative work, that resurrection can actually happen. This is why Richard Rohr says that our fear of death is actually our fear of God. Our fear of death isn't fear of dying itself. Our fear of death is actually fear of God. Listen to how Richard Rohr describes this experience. It's like letting go of all that you think you are. You're moving into a world without any experienced context, but you're becoming the person you always were anyway which you always knew at depth, but yet you did not yet know on the surface. When you walk into this death, it strips you of all that you think you know and leaves you bare and raw, but that's when God can meet you if you're willing to be there. That's when you can experience resurrection. And this is what we see happening with Peter. So imagine the pit of despair that Peter would have walked into. And then, and then imagine what would it have been like to see not dead, but alive. This man who you betrayed, who you disowned, what would it be like? Like, I, I, I can't imagine. 
overwhelming. But then to see this man not turn from you and betray and abandon and disown you like you did him, but come towards you and embrace you and love you and accept you and welcome you and want to be with you. Like, what would that have been like? It would have been like this. Like Jesus's dead body had life just flood back into it. And I guarantee you in a different way, but in the same way, nonetheless, that's what Peter himself would have experienced as well. Like light flooding into the darkness, life flooding into his dead and hard heart. Joy and gladness, overwhelming So even though in John 21, this isn't the first time that Peter has seen the resurrected Jesus, you can begin to understand now why Peter has this sort of reaction. Like there he is, there he is. There's the man who didn't betray me, like I betrayed him. Man, I just wanna be with him. Whatever this water is separating us, I'm going for it. You You can understand why Peter had the reaction that he did. I thought it was all over, but God was doing something new that I couldn't understand. Have you ever been there? Like you think it's all over, but maybe God is doing something new that you can't even yet understand. And consider this, Peter, these three times when he's denying Jesus, he's like he's, he's not being true to who he is. He's like cleaning himself up so that others will accept him and won't reject him, so that others literally won't kill him, right? And now all of a sudden, like all of that pretense that Peter was living with, like it's all gone. And Peter can just be himself, be the person that God made him to be, be this crazy person who just wants to jump into the water and swim and embrace Jesus. Like Peter's not trying to impress anybody. Peter's got nothing to prove. Peter's experienced resurrection, But resurrection and resurrection life is never something that like you're supposed to hoard to yourself, but it's always something that you're you're made to give away. And so that's what we see after Peter and Jesus and the disciples finish their breakfast, there's this really weird conversation that takes place. I wanna look at it together. Um, Maybe you've read it before and you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but Jesus often has weird conversations, so I'm just gonna move on. Let's not move on. Let's let's sit with it for just a second. Start in verse 15. Let me read to you this conversation that Peter and Jesus have after breakfast. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him this question three times, do you love me? So Peter replied, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now there's so much that's going on here that's amazing and beautiful. Just, we just have time for a couple of things. 
So in this story, just a few days earlier, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so what's beautiful is Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity here to affirm his love for Jesus three times. And then three times, Jesus commissions Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, John 21 is the last chapter in the book of John. It's the very end of the gospel accounts of Jesus, but it's not the end of the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus picks back up in the book of Acts. And I just want to read to you one verse in Acts. Acts chapter one, verse one says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This is the introduction for the book of Acts. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now there's something really strange about this verse. All that Jesus began to do and teach, implying that this book is gonna be about all that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach, right? But here's the funny thing that happens. Just a few verses after this in Acts chapter one, Jesus leaves the scene. We're gonna see this story next week. Jesus ascends to be with the Father. Jesus leaves the scene. Yet Acts has like 28 chapters. The story continues. Here's the implication. Jesus isn't finished yet. Jesus isn't finished extending resurrection life to the ends of the earth establishing his rule and reign, his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus isn't finished yet. And what he's saying to Peter is, Peter, you've gotten resurrection life and now you're gonna give it away. And we see these crazy stories. Like, think about this. In John chapter 18, Peter is cowering in fear. And just a few weeks later, Peter is healing people Peter is getting arrested and then breaking out of prison in these crazy, miraculous stories. Like, how is this possible? Like that a man, that a person would experience this sort of transformation in just a matter of weeks, from cowering to like healing people, busting out of jail, it's crazy. The only explanation is resurrection. The only explanation is that something really did happen and Jesus isn't finished. He's continuing the story through Peter, through the apostles, and he's continuing the story through us, Christ City Church in 2018 in Memphis. This is why for the next 40 weeks, we're gonna be walking through the book of Acts. I'm really excited about it. Because we've experienced as a church what it means to get like recovery of life. You're never done with it, but many of us have tasted it. As a church community, like corporately, we've experienced it together. Recovery of life, resurrection. And like Jamin talked about last week, we're finding like, wow, with recovery of life, there's all this sort of new purpose for me to reimagine. What am I here for to do in this world? But now, Christ City, what does it look like for seasons of refreshment to come to Memphis through the Lord's work through us? That's what we're gonna spend almost a year unpacking and not just talking about, but experiencing together. I'm very excited. It's gonna be good and challenging and encouraging. So here's how I wanna end. I can relate to Peter's story. Death, resurrection, 
getting life and then moving towards giving life away. Can you? I want you to do the work of considering your own story. I think our church can relate to Peter's story. That's why so often, and this isn't, this is, it, this is gonna sound arrogant, but it's not. Because it's, like it is absolutely nothing that we've done. And this isn't just, this isn't a humble brag. This is going downhill. But we hear all the time um, as pastors, like, man, there is something unique happening at Christ City Church. Like I can't even, I can't put to words exactly what it is, but there's just something special happening here. And I don't, I don't even know what it is. What it is, is that we're living this mission statement together. Recovery of life, resurrection, new reimagined purpose. And people are experiencing, we're all experiencing like little bits of refreshment when we're together with one another. So I started the sermon with just a line from this Mr. Rogers speech. And now I want to end by reading the whole context, this entire paragraph. And then we'll come and we get to eat together with Jesus at communion. So listen to these sweet, beautiful words from Mr. Rogers. You don't ever have to do anything sensational for people to love you. When I say it's you I like, I'm talking about that part of you that knows that life is far more than anything you can ever see or hear or touch. That deep part of you that allows you to stand for those things without which humankind cannot survive. Love that conquers hate. Peace that rises triumphant over war. And justice that proves more powerful than greed. So in all that you do in all of your life, I wish you the strength and the grace to make those choices which will allow you and your neighbor to become the best of whoever you are. Let's pray. Lord, when we're in the midst of dying, when we're in the midst of what St. John of the Cross calls our dark night of the soul, it doesn't feel like grace. It doesn't feel like a good thing. But Lord, I pray that we would experience and know what it means to die and to experience new life in you, resurrection life. And then that we as a church, we as individuals, that we wouldn't hoard that life, but we would share it, that we would give it away. And we pray that seasons of refreshment would come. In Jesus' name, amen.